And the point I'm trying to make is this, that there are moments that, you know, you have, you have a service and you know it was a good service and later on you realize how important it was. I mean, you, you didn't go into it knowing it was important. It's kind of like later on you knew it was important. But um, I'd been crying out to God for some time just to be able to, Lord, I want to hear your voice again like I used to hear it. For whatever reason, it just seemed like maybe it had been quiet. I, don't, I can't sit here and say, well, you know, you're in gross sin or something. That wasn't the case. Sometimes God's quiet. That's right. That's exactly right. If you wonder why God's ever quiet with you, it is because that's his way of saying, come chase me. Come pursue me as the deer panteth for the water. So my soul longeth after you. And if you're smart, you'll do that. And every now and then even pastors are smart. I don't know. I just feel like 20 years from now, some of us will still be together. I hope all of us are. <laughs> but I believe 20 years from now, we'll look at each other and say, do you remember that Sunday morning on February the 21st? So you take that for what it's worth. I hope you're here. I, I'm going to be here. So, amen. And I got I to gotta divert from that or I'm, 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 I'm going to get messed up here. All right. <sighs> all right. Your notes, we're going to talk about discouragement tonight. Hallelujah, that'll quench the spirit right there, won't it? (laughs) Discouragement, the discouragement test. And uh, in Genesis chapter 39, I may mention a couple verses here, but actually, about midway through the lesson, we're going to talk about Elijah, which is probably even a greater representation of sometimes what discouragement can do in our life. Is there anyone but me here that has ever been discouraged Come on, have you been discouraged? Come on, be truthful. Yes, you have. Sure you have. Sure you have. When people look at me and say, I've never been discouraged, I don't believe them. It's like when when couples say, you know, I don't, I've just, we've never had a fight. That's just not true. That's just not true. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you threw things at each other or anything, but I mean, there are just some things that are the human experience. And discouragement comes to all of us. And um, even today, I was on a phone call with Pastor Rod and had some of the pastors on from all over the country, and his, his lesson on the phone today was uh, persistence and patience in adversity. You know, sometimes you just have to outlive your season. Sometimes, sometimes you, just, you just have to flat out outlive where you're at until God just pulls you out of it to get you to the next season. And... and I'm, you know, I'm not saying you don't pray, you don't do what we're supposed to do, and all these things are help, but there are moments all you, all you do is you just keep walking. If you feel like you're in a desert or you're in a, a hard place or a dark place, sometimes the only thing I can say to myself is this, I'm going to keep walking because I know I have to be closer to the end than where I started. And so I'm just, I'm going to get out of this and I'm just going to keep going. And that's how it is, I think, at times with discouragement when it comes. And all of us will face, you know, ups and downs and sort of those, they used to call them biorhythms or whatever. But um, discouragement comes, I believe, at times in order to bring testing to our lives. Discouragement teaches us things about ourselves. And uh, in the story of Joseph, we find here that as he's going through all that he's gone through, 
he's facing, it seems, roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And after a while, you, you, you have to begin to feel like, why am I getting up in the morning? I mean, it seems to me that I ought to throw in the towel. I ought to give up. I mean, if we took a vote, everybody would vote that I am the most discouraged person in the most discouraging circumstances that has ever lived. And, and Joseph would certainly seem to epitomize that. And I, I don't have time to read through all of chapters 39 and 40. Um, they are incredible uh, accounts of what Joseph goes through. And let me just synopsize it. I think it's here in the introduction that last lesson we left Joseph being falsely accused. As you recall, he was sold into slavery, worked in Potiphar's house, rose to the top. It was while he was there that Potiphar's wife began to seduce him. Uh, when he was there one time, she lunged after him, uh, grabbed his cloak, and uh, when he did not respond to her advances, she falsely accused him. And uh, Potiphar came, and obviously, as most husbands, I would suspect with their wives, uh, would believe her account. And she said that Joseph had tried to make advances toward her. And because of that false accusation and the repercussion, he was thrown into prison. So, so your brothers throw you in a pit, you're put into Potiphar's house, you're falsely accused, and now you're in prison. How many of you know that's not the way we go to destiny? We think. That's not what we think. But here Joseph has to be getting discouraged. But as he gets to prison, the Bible tells us again, he finds favor in the prison and he proceeds to rise to the top, the scripture tells us, with influence and authority. And it was while he was in prison, another opportunity comes his way. Now, I, I, this is really important. I put in parentheses test because you need to see this, that when, when you're in a test, what really you're facing is an opportunity. Now, you got to see, your test is an opportunity, because if you pass a test, you go where? What did we say? To the next, to the next level. So a test isn't to take you out. It's really an opportunity for you to go somewhere new, probably somewhere that you really want to be or that God has spoken to you. So this opportunity comes his way, and, it, and it's going to come in a form of a test. And what it will do is it will call upon his apparent gift of interpretation of dreams, and there are two gentlemen that come while he's in prison and they have dreams and he begins to interpret these dreams. One's the chief butler. And according to the scripture and uh, the references there at the top of the page, the chief butler receives a good report. Joseph says, hey, in, in, you know, I know you don't think you should be here, but in three days you're going to get out and everything's going to be restored to you. That's a good word. And the chief butler goes, hallelujah, that's why I come to this church. You know, so he's, it's a good word. And then the chief baker comes, and he has uh, a dream, and unfortunately, he gets a bad report. It says, in three days, dude, they're going to hang you. <laughs> Can you see us? We go, that ain't God. I'm just saying, that ain't the Lord. Yeah. But what happens is, is that he looks at the butler, who Joseph, it is revealed to, uh, knows that he will come out of there and, and be favored. He asks him to remember him when he is released. But the Bible tells us something very, very interesting. Let me see if I can make sure I can find this. I believe uh, in uh, chapters 40, uh, verse 14 and 23, it says this, Genesis 40, 14, it says, Joseph says, but remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. 
Now, you could understand why he would think this way. He was saying, this is an opportune moment. I'm interpreting your dream. This is like God. And so he says, let's use this to spring me out of here. Now, drop to verse 23. It says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wouldn't that toast you? I, I prophesied to that person, and they just forgot me. Now, this is what's interesting. If you drop to 41.1, it says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. So imagine this. We're not saying he just was forgotten for a week or a month. Two years he was forgotten. And it, nothing is mentioned here, but how many of you know that there, there would have had to have been a wide variety of emotions that had to have been going through Joseph at that particular moment? The feelings of injustice, the, the ability to latch on still to unforgiveness, to bitterness, and obviously discouragement. Saying, Lord, this is not what you spoke to me when I was 17 years old. You spoke to me greater things than this, and here I am. This is exactly the opposite of what it is you said you were going to do. And oftentimes, that's exactly what God does. And a test comes to us, and the test is in the moment of discouragement. Now, let's walk through this. What is the discouragement test? The definition I wrote down here is this is when a person is going through a circumstance or a set of circumstances that if allowed, underline that one, if allowed, do you know you can choose your attitude? Don't you think for a moment that you have to fall into an attitude? You get to choose your attitudes, your feelings, that if allowed will dishearten and deprive them of the courage to believe and follow the Lord. Isn't that true? When you're discouraged, you're throwing in the towel, you're giving up, you're saying it isn't worth it, I'm not doing this anymore, this following Jesus stuff is for the birds, that word that was given to me must have been off the wall, he was a false prophet, she didn't know what she was talking about. Isn't that true? We begin to lack the courage, it sucks the courage out of us, that's why it's discourage, discouragement. It's a lack of courage. It sucks out of you the ability to move in faith because you realize faith takes courage. You can't walk in faith unless you're doing things that are courageous. It takes no faith. For instance, it takes no faith for you to come in here on a Wednesday night and sit down on a chair and believe it will uphold you. That doesn't take any courage because you know it will uphold you. It's upheld you thousands of times before. That's not faith. Faith is when you are asked to do something you've never done before and believe it will happen. That takes courage. Lots of courage. So if this discouragement is allowed to take root, it will evaporate your confidence, your hope, your faith, which in turn will cause you to lose your provision. You understand your, your promise is coming by a way you know not. It will come to you because you've walked in faith. But you'll lose the provision, the promise, and even your destiny. That's the discouragement test. And God wants to know. There's no better time to demonstrate faith than when you're discouraged. There's no better time than when you're feeling like it's, it, you're, you're wanting to throw in the towel. It's not worth it. I'm just, I, I don't want to do this anymore. There's no better time than to just take a big, deep breath and say, I'm going forward anyway. Do you understand? That's faith. 
Faith isn't when you feel good and it's easy. Boy, I tell you, faith is when everything's going the opposite direction. And you say, though, though he yet slay me, still will I trust him. Though everyone else looks at it and says, why don't you just give up on this thing? You say, no, I will not give up. I will not yield to my feelings. I'm going to keep on believing God. Now, the purpose of the test I wrote down here is that it will drive the person back, should anyway, to prayer and renew their sense of God's will, ways, and timing in their life. God's will, his ways, and timing in their life. You cannot read all the great characters of the scripture and not see that there were moments of incredible challenge and undoubtedly deep discouragement. God's will, God's ways, and timing in their life. Discouragement is not sin. Everyone faces those moments. However, what attitude begins to develop can lead a person into sin and unbelief. So, so I don't want you to get the guilties if you feel discouraged. You haven't fallen into sin, but if your discouragement causes you or moves you into disobedience or moves you into unbelief, then, of course, we are dealing with sin. A Christian, especially a leader, must learn through stress and trial that their joy must come from delighting in the Lord and not what he does for you or the responses of people. When it ain't happening, can you still delight in the Lord and say he is good and his mercy endures forever? Have you the ability to do that? Because that's a part of the discouragement test. Just because everybody doesn't think you're all that in a bag of chips, can you still say, well, God still loves me? His love is not based on how everybody else feels at this particular moment. We have to learn how to believe that and stand in that. Number four, no person will be upheld in their destiny without learning how to derive their total joy and peace from God himself. This is the human condition. All of us are going to face things that will be incredibly heartbreaking, challenging, I understand that if we, and you've heard me say this before, if we shared our different stories of heartbreak or or injustice or unfairness, all of us feel like ours is significant because it's ours. I mean, if you haven't walked where I've walked, you don't know exactly how I feel. And, and I, if I've not walked where you've walked, I probably can't identify fully with where you are. But yet Jesus, it says, has been touched of the infirmities of us all. There's nothing that he did not face that you and I haven't faced, and yet was able to stand, and even at the moment of the worst injustice, was able to look and say, Father, forgive them. He was able to minister uh, uh, a sense of assurance to a thief on a cross who said to him, he's done nothing wrong, and Jesus said, surely you'll be with me this day in paradise. I mean, think just think about that for just a moment. These are the things that God is leading us and bringing us to. Like other tests, this one will also reveal the hidden attitudes of a person. Many people can rejoice when everything is going the way they think it should go, but how many murmur and complain when things go the opposite way? This revelation gives the person opportunity to repent from self-righteousness or self-pity. See, that's how, how does God lead you into repentance? He allows you into circumstances that begin to reveal the very attitude that he already knows is there. And and so he'll put you in that situation in order that it reveals these things in order that you might repent from that 
in order that you can be not just forgiven, but that you can be cleansed and you can be made whole and that you can be lifted up into greater character and uh, demonstration of Jesus himself. Now, I want to talk to you. I'm going to leave Joseph for a moment because I really want to make sure I have enough time to get to Elijah. Uh, again, most of you are familiar with the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and 18. I, I like Elijah. There's, I, of course, I have a little bit of prophetic thing in me, and I, Elijah I, I can identify with. Um, there are, are few prophets in the Scripture of the stature of Elijah, probably save John the Baptist. He had amazing favor with God, the ability to do incredible supernatural demonstrations, even under an old covenant. And um, it's interesting. I, I, again, I'm not going to take time to read it all. You can find it. But in 1 Kings 18, 17, it's interesting that the king, which was King Ahab, as you'll recall, Elijah had to work and minister under the civil authority, which was Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, Elijah was doing all kinds of things in order to declare the word of the Lord and bring the nation of Israel back to God. And under Ahab, Ahab was leading it the wrong direction. He'd married Jezebel. Jezebel had restored the high places of all the Canaanite fertility gods. And it was just, it was a, just a, a perverse, defiling time. And so Elijah was on the scene. And, and you can imagine, he was constantly, he constantly had sermon material. And so he's, he's calling back the nation. And it's interesting that King Ahab, when he begins to address him, calls him the troubler of Israel. Now, how would you like that from, from the greatest civil authority? It's like the mayor coming to visit me on a special day and saying, well, how's the troubler of Charleston? How's, I mean, we don't want that, do we? I mean, we want someone to say, we're a nice guy. He's a good guy. But, Ahab called him the troubler of Israel. This just really helps me when I read this stuff. So imagine your reputation being that you are a troublemaker. But what happens through all of this is you know the story that Jezebel manipulates a particular situation with uh, Naboth who has a vineyard. It's a prime piece of property. She wanted it. Naboth wouldn't sell it. She, she manipulates this whole situation. Naboth is killed and uh, uh, they get the property, and Elijah begins to move in on the scene, and he begins, he begins to zero in on Ahab and Jezebel. It leads to a particular showdown, a showdown with 850 false prophets. Now, understand this again. When we're talking prophets, it's like talking preachers. There are un- 850 prophets, preachers, whatever, however you want to say it, and they find favor with the king, and there's one who's the troubler of Israel. Now, can I just share this with you? Because this is really, really important, and it really helps me. You can have 850 prophets who everyone thinks are the greatest thing since chip beef, and you can have one troubler, and it's the troubler who's right. Are you following me? I'm all for majority. I believe that democracy is probably the best way to run civil government, but God's ways are not always democratic. Sometimes... He takes the minority and uses the minority. So he has this showdown that's fixing to come up, and, and they go through this whole long ritual. He tells the false prophets, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to pour water on the altar. We're going we're gonna to put some wood down. You just you dance and call upon your God, and then after you're done, I'm going to do my thing. Uh, and we'll just see the God who answers by fire, that's who we'll serve. And so the false prophets, again, it's really funny. And if any of you, have you, any of you ever read uh, Ken Taylor's old uh, a transliteration, the uh, Living Bible? 
It's, it's not an actual version. It's, 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 a, it's a paraphrase. It's, it's, it, but it's funny in this passage because I remember reading it years ago. Because as you'll recall the story, as the false prophets are cutting themselves and they're dancing and they're doing their thing around the altars trying to get Baal to respond, Elijah begins to taunt them. And he says, where is your God? Is he sleeping? Is he taking a nap? Now, in most of your versions, if you have like a King James version or like my version, it'll say something to the effect like, is he out? But if you'll read the Hebrew and you'll find it in the Living Bible, and, and you can go check me on this. Elijah says literally, where's your God? Is he asleep? Is he taking a nap? Is he sitting on the toilet? That's literally what that word says. Now that's taunting. They get done with their thing and nothing happens. And Elijah steps up to the plate and you know what he does. He calls for more water on it. He's going to make sure that that thing's soaked. He prays. God responds. Fire comes down consumes all that is there. And uh, Elijah then leads the people, the Bible says, in executing the false prophets. They took them down the mountain somewhere and they killed them all. Aren't you glad for the New Testament? Hallelujah. He also declares that now would be the end of the drought, that Israel might know who the one true God is. Now, one would think that after such a dramatic confirmation of one's ministry, you'd be feeling rather encouraged. I would. Fire. (laughs) That'll get you on the cover of Charisma right there. That'll get you on Christian TV. I tell you what, you could take an offering and get you a van and go on the road. You would think that would encourage you. I mean, that was pretty, pretty remarkable. But interesting, the exact opposite takes place. I've often told people, you ought to watch out the day after the greatest service of your life. Whenever you have your greatest moment with God, just watch out for the next day. Because a lot of times that next day, man, you come down off the mountain, you come down off the anointing, you come down off the glory, and you come back to your natural self, and you're ready to quit. You're ready to give up. Uh, It's amazing how often that happens. That's why preachers resign, they say, every Monday. I've resigned more Mondays than I can count. Thank God for Tuesday. Because you never get to hear the resignation. It's just it happened Monday, and I, I decided I was going to stay Tuesday. But, but it is something that is a feature. But, but along in this feature, Jezebel sends an email to Elijah. And in this email, she threatens him and tells him if she finds him, he's dead. And suddenly something happens to Elijah, and he faces this discouragement test. And it's really interesting, if you have your Bibles, I'm sorry, I should have been, I should have been looking all this up. 1 Kings 19, uh, verse 4. This is how deep the depression, the discouragement went in Elijah. If you ever feel, if you, if you feel when you're discouraged that somehow you've, you, you're a loser or you're, you're a wimp or how could God ever use you, I'm talking about Elijah. This is Elijah. Listen to this. He entered into such uh, discouragement In 1 Kings 19 and 4, it says that he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came, sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He had thoughts of suicide. That's what it's saying. He entered into thoughts of suicide. Can you imagine? You've just called fire down from heaven. The nation is turning back to God. 
and you're ready to commit suicide. Now, that's the timing of discouragement. I put down here, we'll go through this quickly. Watch for unusual lows after exhilarating highs under an anointing. I already mentioned that to you. The, the, the discouragement has a way to get in there. Number two, words, remember, words can have a defiling effect on our disposition. You can be having a perfectly wonderful day and get a phone call, and how many of you know it'll change your whole day? One phone call. And all that took place was you got some words. And the question you have to ask yourself is, will you let people control your disposition by what they say? That's a choice. Because, you see, if you allow them to do that, then who are you allowing to control your inward being? Them. Number three, discouragement seems to drive people to isolation. It's amazing. It says that he himself went out. He wasn't around people. He went and isolated himself. So discouragement oftentimes will isolate us. Number four, it causes you to be self-righteous. He says in verse 10, just the first part of verse 10, he says, when the Lord speaks to him, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. Well, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But that is self-righteousness. I alone. I'm, 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 I'm it. God, this is all you, you just got me. That's it. Nobody else gets it. Nobody else understands it. Nobody else, nobody else, nobody, nobody else loving you like I'm loving you. That's self-righteous. It's also self-pity. When he says here at the end, and they seek to take my life. That's what he's saying to the Lord. He's saying, I'm the only one you've got. They want to kill me. You, you should be protecting me better. You lose me. You've lost everything. I mean, you know that's the truth. That's what I'm saying here. In verse 18, he says it again. Uh, well, no, not in 18, but he says it uh, there in the second place. Yeah, there it is in verse 14, excuse me. He says, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life on two separate occasions before the Lord. He tells the Lord, I'm, I'm all there is. You've got no one else. They're trying to kill me. Basically, he's saying, you ought to be doing a better job than, 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 than letting all this other crud come my direction. Well, I'll tell you what the Lord was doing. He was sending him a discouragement test. Will you, will you still stand? Will you still rise? Will you still speak my word? Will you still serve me? Despite the fact all of this other stuff is going on. Now, the big question is, how are, how are we going to break out of this? All right, and I'm going to go through this. I've only got a few moments. But if you can get this, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be absolutely life-transforming. How to break out of the discouragement. Cut this out. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your bathroom mirror, and, and it'll help you. Or, if you. or if you see somebody's number flash up on your cell phone, and you know how the conversation's going, find your notes in your Bible, pull it out, and let, set it right there before you as you're talking to them on the phone. How to break out of it. This is what the Lord does. In verse 5, he says this. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise. Sometimes you just got to get up and get going. If you decide you're going to sit under a tree and wallow, you're going to be in trouble. The best way out of your discouragement is to change the place of discouragement and get to wherever. And sometimes that's physically 
as, as well as spiritually. You got to get up and get going. Get up and do your devotions. Get up, read your Bible. Get up and pray. You say, oh, I'm so discouraged. Get up and get going. Go take your shower. Ladies, put on your makeup. Guys, do what you do. Take a shower. That's what you, okay, just take the shower. But get up and get going. Now, this is, I'm not, we're, we're going to be spiritual here, but a little bit of this is natural too. Do you know that people who fall into depression, what do they do? They don't get out of their pajamas. They sit in a dark room. They want to lay around and they wonder why they're depressed. Get up and get going. I always feel better when I just get up and get going. Sometimes you just have to leave. Just if, 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 if you're in the house and it's kind of discouraging there, get up and get going. If you're in the office, just get up and change your environment even. But get up and get going. Then secondly, he said, arise and eat. And it just kind of struck me that when it says eat, I think you need to eat the bread God provides. And, and, and that's what we, that's why we have this. You know, sometimes we all get discouraged. I've been discouraged. And sometimes you look at everything in the natural and it's easy to get discouraged. I won't deny that there are scenarios and situations and some of you are in places even right now that you get up and you look at where, and it's, I know it's not God's will for you and you know it's not God's will for you. It's just kind of the place you're at at the moment and it can be discouraging. Well, if that's what we're going to base our disposition and our attitude and God's will on, we're in trouble. That's why he gives us this. See? And we begin to again hear and read and eat that which can begin to give us sustenance again to say, okay, Lord, I know this is true. It cannot lie. This is true. Verse 6, it said, uh, then he looked and there lay by his head was a cake baked on the coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. I put down here, you know, sometimes when we're discouraged, we're just plain physically exhausted. I have found that when I'm tired, it's easy to get discouraged. That's why, have you ever noticed how it's worse at night and usually looks better in the morning? Now, there's a reason for that. That's why, you know, what's the, what's the word in Job about uh, something in the night, but joy cometh in the morning? We sang it. Heartache or whatever. I don't even remember it. My Weeping, thank you. My brain's cramping right there, see. Weeping may be for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, there's, a, there's actually a physical reason for that, too. Your body, your body needs rest, and it just sees things and, and, and feels things differently when you're well-rested. And a lot of times, before, that's why you hear the old phrase, before you make a big decision, what? Sleep on it? Well, there's, some of that's biblical. It, 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 that it looks different in the morning. It looks different in the daylight. Verse 7. It says here, and the angel of the Lord came back to him the second time, touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. And what the angel does is he begins to tell him and he reminds him of his destiny and where he's going. And, and, and he reminds him of the greatness of the vision. And when I'm discouraged, sometimes I just have to remind myself, you know what, what I'm doing and what we're doing and what God maybe has asked you to do, it is, if, if it's not too big for you, then it's not God. It's too great for you. And if it's too great for me, then that really kind of helps me because you know what? I don't have to be discouraged about what's going on because I can't do it anyway. Remember the greatness of what you're doing. You're on kingdom assignment, Elijah. You're calling a nation back to God. 
You're looking a nation that's wayward and, and wandering. And I've called you to be a voice to call it. This is a great thing I've called you to do. Don't be discouraged. Remember the greatness of the vision. Verse 9. It says here, and there he went into a cave and spent, you know, he's moving along. He got to Horeb, spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I wrote down here, keep moving and don't park on mountaintops. (laughs) Because we'll get a great experience, and then we'll just want to sit and park. All right, God met me. I'm just staying here for a while. Hallelujah. And God says, don't do that. Come on, keep moving. You're not to stay here. Don't park on mountaintops. Mountaintops are great. Mountaintops are better than valleys. But the mountaintop is not the last place you're going. The mountaintop may just give you a better perspective of where it is you need to be headed. The greatness, again, of the vision. But don't, he just said, keep moving. Don't park on mountaintops. Verse 12, the scripture tells us that there was an earthquake. The Lord went in the earthquake. There was a fire, but he wasn't in the fire. But then here's the verse. This is after the fire, a still, small voice. Listen to the still, small voice of God and not the loud sounds around you. I have found in discouraging times, whatever the loudest voice is, usually is the Lord. It's usually somebody discouraging me. All right, God's going to speak. God's, God's going to whisper his voice to you in those times. I'm, I've got to keep going. Verse 15. It says here that the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. In other words, continual obedience will cause discouragement to leave. He he says, this is what the Lord says. He's saying, I know Ahab and Jezebel are rascals. I understand that they're not serving me. I understand what she said. Now I'm going to go tell you what to do. Go anoint this other guy, king. We've still got other things to do here. You just keep being obedient and as you stay obedient, obedience will, will pull you out of that discouragement. And then finally, he says, the Lord says, in verse 15, uh, excuse me, that should have been verse 18. I apologize, I typed that wrong. Yet I have reserved, he says, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And whenever you're discouraged, uh, you need to remember this, that you aren't the only one having a tough time. There were 7,000 others serving God, loving God, and they were having to live under unrighteous rulership as well. And, and you weren't the only one. Every now and then it, it, maybe this, maybe this is a tad bit dysfunctional, but I'm just going to use this verse as my verse to stand on that, that whenever I'm feeling a little discouraged or defeated, it seems like I can always look around and find someone who I can say, but I'm not there. It may not be great, but I'm not there. I'll, I'll keep what I've got right now. Isn't that true? You start looking around. Maybe, maybe your family isn't the greatest. Maybe your relationship, your marriage isn't the greatest. I can guarantee you, if you don't think it's the greatest and you're being discouraged and you want to throw in the towel, just come with me. I'll point you out about a dozen I can find around this city, and you'll feel pretty good about what's going on in your life. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to remember, it's like the old saying, it says, when I, was, when I was miserable because I had no shoes, I remembered the guy I saw who had no feet. It kind of keeps it in perspective. Discouragement is a human uh, trait that will 
forever be a part of what we face. But God says that if you'll, if you'll still serve him and love him and press through these discouraging moments, I, I'm telling you, we, we can begin to have an Elijah generation. We, we, we can begin to do great exploits and call a nation back to God and see those same miracles take place. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Praise God. I appreciate you being. You know what I appreciate about Wednesday night? I feel like I come to church. You know, sometimes I remember growing up, going to Wednesday night, and I almost dreaded it. I'm sure there were people there that dreaded coming too. But you know what? I like Wednesday night because I hear the amens, and you worship God, and you reach out to him, and I'll teach just a little bit, and you'll amen me, and just it's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you tonight that, that though there might be a discouraging breeze that comes across our paths, that your spirit, Lord, can come and, and breathe encouragement inside of us. Lord, breathe encouragement inside your people tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, I ask, Lord, that you would, uh, you would just build them up tonight. Would you just take a moment and just, if you're okay, just lift your hands to the Lord right now. And, 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 and as you lift your arms to the Lord, I'm, I just want to pray, Lord, right now, as our arms are lifted right now, would you just lift your people up right now? If there are those that have come tonight, Lord, and they're just kind of in a down moment. They may, may, may not have even describe it as discouragement, but maybe just a little lethargy or apathy. But Lord, I pray that you would lift them up tonight and that you would cause their zeal once again to be rekindled in their life. I pray that you would cause their passion to be rekindled towards you. Lord, there may have been some that have come that really were in desperately discouraging places. Lord, I pray right now that that spirit, Lord, would not deceive them. It would not detour them. Lord, I just, I, I just speak an awakening to their eyes and to their heart that at this very moment they have the opportunity to arise in the midst of perhaps what may be one of the most difficult situations and be able to cry out, Lord, I'm with you. I'm sticking with you. I'm walking with you and I will be with you to the end in Jesus name. Lord, I pray you would put that, put that persistence Put that tenacity, Lord, inside of us right now that we might arise. We might get going again in the name of Jesus. Lord, if we need to go home from this place, go to bed early and get a couple hours sleep. Lord, I pray that's a word of wisdom for somebody. And just get some more rest in their life. But Lord, I believe you're calling us to an unusual walk. And you're calling us in an unusual thing that will cause supernatural miraculous happenings to take place, things which eye has not seen nor has ear heard. Lord, I believe you're wanting to arrest the attention of Charleston, South Carolina. I believe, Lord, that, that, it, that this city has dodged the dealings of God for literally centuries. And Lord, we have great steeples, but Lord, right now I'm praying that there would be a move of God that would come Lord, that, that we wouldn't be able to live behind the facade, but that, Lord, we would live in the reality of a great and mighty God, the God who answers by fire. And, Lord, I don't believe you're going to send a fire to destroy, but you're wanting to send a fire, Lord, like on Pentecost to consume this region. But, Lord, you're going to use people, Lord, that will press past the religion and press past the discouragement. And press past all the circumstances. Lord, the, we understand, I understand the enemy has shut, 
shut this thing down for so long that we've, we've not pressed in. But Lord, we will press in. We will not be detoured. Lord, we declare, should we not be that generation that we will hand it off to a generation that will do it. But we are with you and your purposes shall prevail. Hallelujah. So Lord, let your people be encouraged today. Let them be encouraged today. That this, this season will not be as it is now. It will change. That Lord, they will be, they will find that favor again. They will find that place of anointing again. They will find that place of, of joy unspeakable and full of glory. They will find the peace that transcends even their understanding. They'll find it when they just get up and keep going. Lord, I thank you for that, that you're doing it in people's lives. So Lord, keep us safe. Keep us excited. Keep Keep us with you on our lips at all times. And Lord, we are believing for a great and incredible weekend this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless y'all. And uh, we'll see you on the Lord's Day. You're released.